Welcome to the February 2014 episode of Behind the DM Screen, where three DMs get together and talk about their games and help each other out. Uh, welcome back to the show. And just as a, a just to confuse everybody, in the last episode, you may have heard that Randall was taking a hiatus from the show while he doesn't really have a game. We found another great day DM to, to sit in his place. So, Sam, say hi. Hello. Those of you regular uh, Tome Show feed listeners uh, may recognize Sam either as a regular guest um, or as our fantastic editor for all but pretty much what, this show? And you don't do the roundtable either. That's about it, right? Mm -hmm. That's correct. Yep. Which, in fairness, um, I don't make you edit this show. And part of that's because I don't really edit this show. <laughs> I, I put in the music. And, I put, put in the music and throw in the ad in the middle and done. <laughs> that's because we only have consummate professionals on this show. So, so what does that what does that say about the guests on the Tome Show? Uh, the guests on the Tome Show are fantastic, but sometimes we have people on that we've never had on before. So you never quite know what you're going to get, right? Sometimes, you know, I hear you have this one guest who has this really loud keyboard. Oh, wait, wait. I wasn't supposed to say that, was I? Oh. Uh, it's, no, it'll be edited out in post. <laughs> and he all, he's also a great listener. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry, what? Exactly. So yep. um, I'm going to start. 15 minutes on the clock. Go. Oh, that's me. Go. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. So we're continuing our D&D next um, Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil game. Um, I think I've only gotten in one session since the last time we played um, with the holidays and, and things going on. I think we only got into one session in January. Um, and then we've, we're trying to get in two in a row here. No, you know what? I take that back. We did two in a row in January as well. Um, and we've gone from... The outer fane to, through the inner fane and into sort of the, the heart of the, the giant 700-room dungeon. I may be <laughs> exaggerating the number slightly, um, but not too much. <laughs> so they finally made it into the heart of it. Uh, I had intended on them getting through that whole section in one go because, you know, it's next. And so you don't map everything out. And there's a lot of things there that they don't have to do, but they could do. Um, and, and, yeah, so... Um, they're there, and, and I've sort of cut them off from a lot of their external um, aids and things. You know, I have some of them. I, I have one guy who doesn't know it, but he's got a connection to a um, to Asmodeus, who's helping them out or helping him out uh, and slowly losing his soul as a result. Um, he doesn't know that it's Asmodeus, or he doesn't realize that he's getting help? He doesn't realize that it's Asmodeus. Okay. He, he g gained a sort of a weird brand sort of thing. It's like a, a almost a metal tattoo. You know, okay. the metal sits, sits out mm -hmm. slightly from the, from the skin. Um, and through that connection, through that, that item, if you want to call it an item, he has this connection to this sentience who's been helping him and is, you know, he's slowly, slowly gaining some powers from it and, and what have you, um, as well as advice and, and all that. But he doesn't realize that all this time that he's actually been getting help from Asmodeus. And through the, the course of accepting this aid and the, these powers, he's, he's slowly slipping. Um, he's gone from lawful good to lawful neutral at this point and is getting dangerously close to moving to lawful evil. Mm -hmm. So, 
But, I mean, the whole deal is they're trying to stop the release of Theras done, and Asmodeus, as an evil god, wants to see that done as much as anybody, right? Because, you know, there would be nothing for Asmodeus to rule over if Theras done came back and destroyed the world. So that's been going on, and but I've cut him off they've, as they've entered this thing that, you know, there's no access to... Um, divinations or anything this whole this whole thing is, is heavily warded in the center of this giant tower um is something called the Dreamstone, which is this giant sort of uh crystal thing that that can it connects directly to therasdun and is such you know insanity inducing and full of chaos and evil and, and what have you that sort of fell from space at one point sort of adding a cthuloid uh, uh angle to the whole thing and because of that i've i've cut him off from all of his his connections and and another guy who's been been closely tied to moradin and and uh, has occasionally gotten assistance from an exarch of moradin is cut off from all of that assistance and you know so i'm, I'm trying to make a point that while you're in here you're sort of you're on your own right mm-hmm um, at one point, I even tried to tempt um, my Asmodeus guy because, you know, he Asmodeus let him know when you go in there, you're going to lose your connection to me. I'm not going to be able to help you anymore. Um, there is one thing I could do before you go in that could protect you from the effects of being in that place because that place is, is horribly evil. And anybody who, <laughs> who goes in there is going to be affected by that. Um, and, what, and, and he was really tempted by it for a while and had to sort of think on it and then came back and eventually said, no, I don't want to do that. Um, because, and, and he probably made the right choice, right? He's trying not to lose his soul, and ultimately, what Asmodeus was planning to do to help protect him was turn him evil, because none of the effects affect evil people. Ah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Right? All right, cool, you made the deal, I'll take your soul, you're you're awful evil now, right? Um, but he, he staved off that temptation, so I still have to see if I can't uh, continue to tempt him as we move through the last couple chapters of the adventure. Um, so they, uh, they didn't get through the whole thing. I was planning them uh, on them doing so, but you know they spent a lot of time. They they run into at one point um, the adventure just randomly has a deck of many things sitting in in this tower, um, <laughs> which worked out really well because sort of the whole story arc of this was that we played um, Madness of Gardmore Abbey and they lost the deck of many things at the end of it, <laughs> and that's what you know nice. sort of messed up the world and and we fast forwarded 200 years or whatever and now we're in, into this thing and and Therizen is about to be released through the chaos that was brought about by the release of the deck of many things and now you know they're there and there's that same deck of many things just sort of sitting there you know they they've sort of animated a, a skeleton who's just you know a first level skeleton dressed up and and programmed to to dish out cards and whatever hmm. Um, and so they, they played with that a little bit and, and most of them actually, you know, again, fell to that temptation and like, uh, sure, I'll take a couple cards, see what happens, you know, <laughs> still haven't learned that lesson. <laughs> um, it was also interesting because I have gone to sessions now without drawing any maps. Like I've gone forever, uh, in, and, and that's one of the things I love about D&D Next is that I think I, I feel like one of the reasons I'm getting through so much is I'm not bothering with maps. But it's dri- been driving one of my players crazy. And so I figured, okay, with this place, it's one tower. It's, it's, there's you know basically seven different levels, but each level is effectively one room. So it's not a, it wouldn't be a huge deal. So I went ahead and made maps for the whole thing. And this was the one session of the year that that player couldn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> so I've actually gone ahead and mapped out the entire next chapter, um, at least all of the encounter areas of the entire next chapter, just to um, see if that appeases him a little bit. 
I got to figure out what I'm going to do though as we get into the last chapter because it's a relatively complex area and and I think you'd ha- I would have to map out the whole thing if I if you map out any of it um, just because of the way the 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 d- dungeon I guess is is set up um, and, I'm, and I'm not sure if I'm going to do that yet maybe I'll just pick a few of the more complex encounter areas and, and map out two or three of those and call it good but so when you say map you're not talking about just drawing out maps you're talking about like setting up battle maps no I'm just talking about things. drawing out maps. I, I, okay. I've gone theater of the mind for almost every encounter right. for the last half of this Right, adventure. but you're still talking about encounters. Yeah, I'm talking about encounters. In, in other words, the actual product has the map in it. You're just not – you're not right. building something on the table yeah, yeah, when yeah. they're having yeah. – yeah, okay. That's right. No, and, and I've – you know, just so they didn't get lost in what was going on, I've been sketching out a rough map on a piece mm. of paper or whatever and handing it to them through the whole thing, so – They've had an idea of where they're going and what's going on. They just—I haven't drawn anything out for encounters, and it's been driving that one player nuts. He'll be happy because I'm planning my next campaign to be a go, to go back to fourth edition before we before next is finally out and finished. Now, is it is it driving him nuts because he really really likes that tactical feel, or is it driving him nuts because he has a hard time visualizing if you don't have something down? I think it's a little bit of both, um, okay. and he's also somebody who he likes the tactics of the game. And so when I tell him, you know, when he says, can I do this, can I do that or whatever, and he has a slightly different vision than I do of what's going on, that chafes him pretty bad. Right. Even if it's little things, you know, it's like, well, I didn't know I could do that because I couldn't see it. Well, you could have mm-hmm. asked if you wanted to do, you know, I would have, right. and I probably would have said yes, but he, you know. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I mean, that's a good, I think, I feel like that's a good strategy when doing theater of the mind, right? If, if they ask and there's any doubt as a DM, just say, yes, you can do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. So let, let them do whatever they want. But he, you know, right. he's, he, his response is always, "Well, I right. didn't even know to ask because I couldn't see what was going on." You know? right, yeah. So that's that's actually part. I mean, that's not that's just part of the transition of moving from a particular play style to a particular play style, right? I mean, like I have, I I it, just speaking for myself, I have no problem doing three, theater of the mind because that's how I learned to play in the beginning. Mm-hmm. So. I like fourth edition and, and games like that, but moving back and forth between those, you know, it's just a minor adjustment in my brain to the, oh yeah, we're not using maps, so okay. And you learn to say, I want to do this, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's not about, oh, I didn't know I could do that. It's just you say what you want your character to do and that's it. But if a player who's never really had that or who only plays with maps has only, only has that experience, it's a little bit more difficult of a transition for that, I think. Yeah, well, and I feel like most of my players have, have pretty well made that transition. Like, even my most tactical sort of uh, min-maxing player mm-hmm. has not complained once, right? Yeah. Um, but this this guy's also my old, uh, which this may be ironic, but he's, he's also my old um, first edition Grognard guy, right? Mm. He, went from, he went from first edition <laughs> nice. straight to fourth edition, right? Yeah. He skipped second and third entirely, went straight from, from, from first to fourth. Wow. Um, it's a big jump. It, it is a big jump. Right, it is, thirty yeah. years. Yeah, he was out of gaming for a long time, and then you know found us online and joined us when we first got together. What six years ago now? Um, cool. which, anyway, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he, so yeah, he's had a hard time yeah. transitioning with that. And I, I think, I, I think the issue is not the transitioning. I think it's just not his style of play. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's just not what, the way he prefers to play. He like he wants to know what's going on and whatever. And, and honestly, as a player back in the, my second edition days when I was a young player, and he's not a young player, obviously, but uh, when I was a young player back in my second edition days, I remember always wishing we had maps more often, and we never did. Um, but I right. wished we had because I always got into that fight with the DM of, 
you're you're not like the way you described it did not make me think that that was the situation and apparently that's the situation and now it's you know it's a fight and a discussion every single encounter you know right so um but other than that that's sort of what's going on um i've also sort of i guess since i have a little bit of time i've i've been reflecting i guess on my own uh dming and my own dming styles a, a little bit and I think I've come to the conclusion that, unfortunately, I think I am my least creative when I'm actually at the table. Hmm. You know, um, I feel like I can take the the things that throw me off and given some time to digest it, I can turn them into some really cool things. But when there are things that throw me off at the table, the the solutions I come up with are not my most creative and don't move the story the way I want them to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sure. And I don't know how to fix that. It's just maybe a revelation that I've made about myself and, and that maybe instead of trying to resolve those things, I should instead look for strategies to delay those things so I can at least not deal with it until the next session. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a this is something that I've I've thought a lot about. And um, I think it, it all kind of depends on what you need to prepare ahead of time and what you're comfortable working with at the table, mm-hmm. right? Like... Sometimes it might be that you're you're one one is good with monsters, right? It's pretty easy to kind of pick out a set of monsters to fight, so you don't really need to worry about that. But you're not one wouldn't be good with the setting. Like I don't know what the room looks like, and mm-hmm. I don't know what interesting details for that room would be like, and I don't know how it would work. So then it's like, well, okay, maybe I'll spend some time coming up with five or six different, you know, settings, mm. and I'll set those aside, and that way I don't have to improvise those. Yeah, usually the bits that that throw me are the the things where the players do something unexpected, mm. right? Th- those but, are the things that's like an example, like like they decide to go talk to an NPC that I didn't expect them to talk to, or they want to investigate something that I thought they would just blow past and not worry about, or mm-hmm. you know somebody insists on going into the impossible situation, and gets themselves killed, mm. you know, and and. Usually, given time, you you know, a week or two between sessions, I can come up with something really fun and creative to do with that, that mm-hmm. that pushes the story forward. But at the table, if I have to deal with it, whatever I come up with usually passes, but isn't nearly as fun as if I had just sort of let it go. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. So when you say if they want to go talk to an NPC, do you mean somebody that you didn't? Ex- like it's not even named. You didn't expect them to even. Yeah, like the, key in well, that yeah, that person so, exists, or so, that you weren't ready for them to talk to that person. That it was somebody who you know they decided to go talk to. You know, they wanted to go. They want to go to the local library and investigate the this that and whatever, right? And and oh, I, I never see. had any concept in my head yeah, that they would so, want to do that kind of thing. Right, and the, so the librarian doesn't even exist until they say right. that kind of thing. Okay, yeah. So there's no reason for you to prep that. Right. As exactly. A, no, yeah. it's not something I can, right. I, ne- I don't think I can necessarily prep. It's just something I need to work on my mental flexibility a little bit. I think. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I mean NPCs are you know what I particularly sucked at when it came to that are are names mm. and just coming up to me was like coming up with a character wasn't too much of a problem because that character starts off as this nebulous glob and then the more people talk to it and the more it talks to them, it starts to form into something that's like a real person. But I just was terrible at coming up with names off the top of my head. So I actually just keep a giant list of 100. (laughs) I actually have a list of 100 random names and then 100 random two-part surnames so that it's, you know, 
a, a big degree of names. Mm-hmm. Only sometimes the surnames can end up really silly. Yeah, I used to have name issues, and I haven't had had that as much lately, though. So yeah, that's been good. so to me, like then getting the name was the hardest part. And once mm-hmm. I had the name, I that could generating a character wasn't too hard. Cool. See, you you can so I do that same thing. That's that's one of the things I've done for a long time that really sort of got me out of that kind of anti-creative place was not even a hundred names. Just like I have one page with three columns on it. One one column will have some names, and then if you need like if if it's because it's someone that like the librarian you didn't know they were going to go talk mm-hmm. to of of the research library whatever the second column you can instead of listing names you can list uh, you know a personality quirk mm-hmm. and the thing is that it's not you know and and maybe in the third column you can have a list of very basic motivations you mm-hmm. know and then you know it, it can be a twenty piece list and you just roll a d20 or it can just be a list that you pick randomly from and sometimes you might roll something or pick something and you think ah oh, that doesn't really match mm-hmm. um but what it does is it just makes you be creative in that moment about okay well if it doesn't match then you obviously have just an idea of what it, would yeah. match so move past it right yeah. and you know where it gives you a starting place that you know whereas you're not just blank as we talk about it more i think what's really what my what my bigger issue is um is specifically doing it when I'm running a published adventure. I think when I've run things that I've created myself, it hasn't been as, as much of an issue because, yeah. because I don't have to worry about running afoul of the story in a way that I haven't mm-hmm. considered because it's my story, you know, mm-hmm. and I know it inside mm-hmm. and out and I can change that. Right. Uh, but when I'm running the published adventure, I think I'm always sort of like, I'm so busy running other things and keeping track of these stats and that thing growing on and, and that kind of thing that when they throw this kind of stuff at me, it's like, uh, okay, hold on a second. I need to flip through some pages and look at some things and see if I can make sure that what I want to do is not going to run afoul of the story. And I'm so focused on not running afoul of the story um, that I don't take that time to think about what I'm going to do creatively um, and how this thing, new thing is going to interact with that story. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I, you know what? I have that same problem when I run, a, a published thing. You know what I do to change that? It's really stupid and simple, but I change all the names. Every name of anything in there, I change it mm. because then it makes it more mine and and more the groups than mm-hmm. the written. And then it's not about breaking canon or breaking the the idea of the of the published thing, right? Mm. It's, it's it's a little easier to get past it because you're already making it your own by <laughs> sure by changing something so stupid as names. Yeah, you know, I mean, which I don't. don't, I don't even have really a problem. Matter. I don't have a problem with breaking canon. I have a problem with I said this thing three sessions ago and it conflicts with this thing I'm I, I'm going to say yeah. in two sessions, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. I didn't, and I just didn't realize yeah, yeah. or think about it. And, they, and you know they're going to catch me and call me on it. So, <laughs> you know? But it's, you know, I, I, I think that's what it is. And I think part of the issue is just knowing the adventure better might help as well. But, you know, it's just, that, that's a time issue, right? If I took the time to know the adventure that well, then I'd be, I, could, I would have the time to create my own adventure. Mm-hmm. So. Mm. All right. Yeah, the the seminal problem with published yeah. work, right? My time is, is well over at this point. And before we move for, further, we want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Noble Knight, who keeps coming back because they love us and we love them. And our Noble Knight pick for the episode is, Sam? <laughs> the Noble Knight pick of the episode is Module L1, The Secret of Bone Hill, produced in 1981 for Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition, written by Lynn Lakofka, the uh, famous designer who used to write the Leoman's Tiny Hut article 
in Dragon Magazine. Uh, it's a nice little module. It's very short. It's 30 pages, but it includes an entire region, including a nice town that you can base your group in and several different uh, locations where they can adventure of varying difficulty levels and enough wilderness in between that you can add in different pieces that you'd like. And No One Like Games has it on sale for a mere very tiny seven dollars wow and it's hmm. in pretty good condition I don't so know if i've ever heard of this one before oh it's a good one bone hill it's the it is the it is the prequel or the it's the first part of the lindor isles adventure the second part being the assassin's knot which is one of the very first mystery style adventures published for D. so shoot me the shoot me the link in the in our chat and i'll put it in the yeah, absolutely i will do that all right cool uh, there you go. So run on down to Noble Knight and pick that up before Jeff goes and buys it. <laughs> All right. Seven bucks. Why not? Yeah. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right. All of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade. So you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Well, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. All right. We're back. And Mike, you're up. Time, ah. time starts now. All right. So I finished my Baldur's Gate, my Murder at Baldur's Gate uh, mini campaign. And I'm glad it's over. <laughs> um, I, I, thinking about it in this, I don't know. So it was great. I, you know, I got, I mean, anytime you're sitting around with a group of friends rolling dice, who, who really cares, right? It's, that's, it's a great time. But I think of all of the mini campaigns I've done and all the ventures I've run in like the past five or six years, this has been my least favorite. Um, and, uh, that's a I, pretty damning indictment. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of them has to buy me, be my least favorite, right? Like, yeah, but there, there must have been a least favorite. But but like, I don't think I've ever thought about a least favorite before. Right. Like all the ones I ran, you know, I don't think any of them I walked away with and went, wow, yeah, I wish I hadn't done that. And this is one where I wish I hadn't done it. And mm -hmm. and a lot of it is. Yeah. So there's lots of reasons. I think I've talked about in other episodes and. Um, and I think we talked about it extensively in our Murder Baldur's And you guys episode. did a good review of Murder at Baldur's Gate, and all of those things are, are pretty valid. And my, my, my biggest problems was that I just didn't feel like the adventure had much of an adventure to it. I think it was like a bunch of different scenes. And I think if you had a bunch of player characters who were very character-driven and very story-driven and really didn't care about combat and really didn't care about exploration and really didn't need kind of you know crazy adventure locations or wacky monsters, then it might be fine. Like as a as a as an intrigue, as an adventure of intrigue, it's kind of interesting. Um, but uh, it wasn't for me. And my group, I think they were fine with it because I I went way off track real early, hmm. and then would just pull kind of pieces of the main adventure to throw back into this one. Um, 
So the last adventure, the only issue that I had is we knew that snow was coming last night. This was this all happened last night. And everyone's watching the weather and we're like, oh, my God, there's like 10 inches of snow and it's going to start at eight o'clock. And my game starts at 730 and ends at 10. And I don't want people driving home and getting wrecked, getting into a wreck. On the other hand, I hadn't had a game the previous week. I'm not going to have a game next week. So I was like, I really want to have this game. So I'll just abbreviate it. We'll start an hour early. I'll get everyone out by nine. And I'll just cut a bunch of stuff that I had previously planned. Um, the adventure, they, they had gone to a clear area the week before. So unlike most times where I don't really prep ahead of time, this one I said, well, I'm going to set up a nice big Dwarven Forge thing and have lots of cool combat with lots of interesting environmental effects and sort of fourth edition style set piece battles. Um, and I had a bunch of nice ones. And then I had to cut them back because I was like, well, it's like four big battles. And we're not going to get through all that before they go out into the snow. And they're all going to be worried about the snow, so they're not going to be having fun anyway. So I cut them way back. And um, still, everyone had a good time. Some really interesting fights. Lots of fun. One of the things that I added to the game, and people clearly were like pretty interested in it, is I, I have these Rory story cubes. Have we talked about the story cubes before? You guys heard about these? Maybe. Doesn't, doesn't sound like it. So on, so on Amazon, uh, you know, there, there's these things called Rory Story Cubes, which are six-sided dice that each have like a weird symbol on it, like a half a watermelon and a, a mouse and, okay. you know, some stuff. And they're meant for kids. You kind of roll three or four of these and then you kind of invent a little story. And they're kind of an interesting way to, to ad lib and to, to you can you, know. you can find them in the board game sections mm-hmm. at your local yeah. Barnes and Noble. Yeah, they're like right? six I mean, bucks. It's, it's, yeah, it's meant to help creativity mm-hmm. so. right so um the the fun i i've used them in the past and they just kind of sit around and i forget why but a couple weeks ago i pulled them back out again and i went through them and actually said like okay are there things on this cube that clearly have nothing to do with a fantasy rpg because if they do then i'm going to take them out and i <laughs> you know so i built this i have think i think i have like three different sets of them and i combined them all into a set that makes sense for fantasy stuff and uh, every time they would kill somebody it was all cultists right they're killing all ball cultists and it turned out that the cultists of Baal were being fed this weird parasitic brain thing that was making them worship Baal. And so they all had backstory, like they were all former whatever. So every time they would kill somebody, they'd roll some story cubes and the players would describe who this person was, you know, up until now before they got killed. And like one guy had always ended up with an ax in his head. And, you know, so that was a fun sort of thing. And I thought like, well, it's just a little gitchy thing that people are either going to dig or they're not. But like I would forget to do it, and they're like, "Hey, I want to tell that guy's story." I'm like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> Here's your story cubes. Go mm, cool. tell us about it." And they ended up taking some extra time, but I think people dug it. So mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll do it all the time, but it's a fun thing to do. Um, so now, now that that's over, so I had a nice big finale, and then I had this sort of like I wanted to get everybody out the door before the snow came. So like all four of the main characters showed up at once, and the three of them were doppelgangers. And one of them was a doppelganger that was a friend of the party because they'd saved it before. So he made it clear that, hey, we're all doppelgangers. And then <laughs> two of the doppelgangers ran off, and then they fought the boss, and they killed him. And it was Silverlight because it was Silverlight, and then everybody else had it as Silverlight. And um, so it was cool. And they had they, you know, a big dimensional portal that led to the plane of dread and despair, which is where Bala is from. And they had to fight this like murderous blood pillar that was like Ball's unhinged murderous spirit that wasn't yet bound into an avatar. And they fought that. So they got to do some pretty epic stuff considering they're only fourth level. And uh, so I think they were all happy. And, and again, I was I was happy that it's over. Um, 
So our next game is going to be 13th Age. Uh, we're going to start at level three and um, probably go for a longer run. And I have no idea what the campaign is going to be like yet. Um, we are they I, I with 13th Age, you have the, the 13 icons that you can choose. And we actually narrowed the icon selection down to six. So that way everybody's kind of working off of the same six icons. And then it's easier to kind of build a coherent story where main NPCs and main plot lines are going to be pretty solid. So I've never really done that before with 13th age. And it'll be interesting to see how that goes. It's a lot um, easier. Have you, have you run it with a narrower? I, I have. And 13 is way too many. I mean, it's yeah. just that, I mean, they are iconic and it works, but it's, it's really hard from the, from the GM perspective to do that mm -hmm. because, you know, you have the whole thing where you determine at the beginning of each session, what right. the, what the main, you know, main players are going to be, you know, in terms of the icons. Um, and if there's 13, it's like, well, geez, you know, anything could happen. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm as creative as they get, I think. But, you know, it's hard to get, you know, have really solid things for 13. You know, I, it's just rough. So when if you cut it down, it's it's really nice. It, it actually it's amazing how much it's going to change the way that you. Yeah. So I've, I've run it with all 13 it, before. Yeah. And, and yeah, that was exactly what we hit was like every week, the whole plot would shift, you know, 180 mm -hmm. degrees from where it had right. been going the week before. Yeah. And, uh, this time it's like, we have two clear villains, which is the Lich King and the three, we have two clear, uh, good guys, which is the priestess and, uh, I forget the other, oh, the great gold worm. And then mm -hmm. two that are neutral, which is the high druid and the elf queen. And uh, I've, I've already got some kind of interesting ideas about how these icons are working together. And I, and I have some settings in my head that I want to run, but I don't really know how they're going to combine yet. Uh, and I have no – so I, this is going to be no, no published adventure. Like I'm not going to have any sort of pre – Nor I've been running a lot of published adventures for a long time. So it will be interesting to run an entire campaign without any, you know, any clear setting or any clear uh, direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and our hope is to go from three to ten. You know, our hope is to go all the way through the level range, right. which would be cool because I really want to do. I always love high level, high level <clears throat> stuff. Three to and ten the, is all the way through the level range. Yeah. So the the, the level range for Thirteenth uh, Age is ten. The highest is ten, and well, ten is like the equivalent of a level twenty five in Fourth Edition or a twenty. But you're starting you at know. three. Well, we're starting at three, which okay. is like the equivalent of starting at like seven or eight. <clears throat> but you're not actually going all the way through the levels. You're You've truncated a little bit. No. Oh, well, yeah. You're, right. you're not doing the first two. Yes. Correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, right. Going from all the way from three to through ten. Yeah. Okay. So we're starting higher, and then going all the way up to the end. Why are we starting higher? Uh, they just we've done so much first level crap for so long. Like all the D and D next stuff we've done has been first level. The first time we did Thirteenth um, Age, it was first level, and people just want to do. You know, this is a lot of the. I don't know if a lot, but yeah, more than half of the group were people who spent a year running epic tier fourth edition. So they're ready to kind of go back to that. They loved kind of being high power, fighting big stuff with big consequences and, mm -hmm. you know, cleaning kobolds out of a, cave, a nearby cave and dealing with the were rat <clears throat> situation. It's just not really that interesting sure. to them. So it'd be cool. Flying castles and ancient prisons and all kinds of stuff that mm -hmm. I'm throw in here. So it's going to be a good time. I'm, I'm excited. Cool. And I have no idea. How's my time? You've got five, over five minutes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I don't know what else to talk about. 
Uh, let's had, talk about the you, improvisation thing a little bit more. I was, I was going to say, do you have any? Are you are you already starting to eye what's coming next? Or are you just focused on Thirteenth Age now? I'm focused on Thirteenth Age, and I'm I'm yeah. Next, I think is going to be you know D and D's official release, whatever that is. Um, I don't expect to be playtesting any of the D and D stuff. Uh, I mean, that's that's not true. I actually am going to have a weekend game every month. That's going to be D and D next. We're going through the Dragon Spear Castle adventures. Oh, okay. And, um, but yours not playtesting? No, that's going to be a playtest. Okay. But but after but my main my main my normal group my regular weekly group is probably going to do Thirteenth Age and then we'll see what D and D next looks like when it's fully published. Not to and get, then not I, to get too inside baseball here for the for the vast majority of our listeners who are not alpha playtesters, <laughs> but why aren't you running one of the playtest adventures that that, that they send out? That's one of the regu- uh, that's one of the regular things they send, right? Yeah, I can never keep up. No, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I have that issue too. Yeah, there's a ton of them, and I just you know, so, so there's a couple ones, and one is I'm getting a little I'm getting a little uh, beta, you know, like I did that when I played EverQuest a million years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we got in on a lot of the beta stuff for EverQuest, and the problem was that like by the time it came out in full, you were already t- sick of it. Oh. So you'd, you'd, you'd play through it and you'd fix all the bugs and it'd get all broken and you'd, you'd tell them about all the stuff and you'd fight all the boss mobs when they were looking like normal dudes and not like monsters. And then the thing would come out and you're like, I've already done all this. Only when I did it, it sucked. So <laughs> I don't want to do that with published adventures either. Now, on the other hand, like I, I looked at it and said, boy, I, I kind of wish I'd been on the <laughs> or I wish I'd paid more attention on, on mm-hmm. the, the murder of Baldur's Gate adventure because <laughs> right. I could have said things like, hey, in your Dungeons and Dragons adventure, it should be nice to have some dungeons or dragons in it. <laughs> you know? um, so, yeah. Or so any that, encounters at all. <laughs> or, yeah, or a battle, maybe, you know, <laughs> right. Something to use 95% of your character sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I, I don't, uh, so I like, you know, the, the other one is like, and then I've got a ton of published adventures sitting on yeah. the shelf and Dragon Spear Castle looks awesome. Like I've got the Gen Con one that's all nice and printed and mm-hmm. it's in the book and it's a cool adventure and I like the I like the story and I like it's got d- Dungeons and Dragons in it. Mm. And um, we've got a review I, of that one coming out soon too. You were you were yeah, on that. Yeah, right. I was on the review. Yeah. yeah, and and I dug it. So I'm I'm looking forward to running it. And uh um yeah, so that'll be fun. But but yeah. I don't know. Well, it's really easy to get playtest fatigue, right? I mean, sure. that's and that's kind of what I got. And actually, I think yeah. that's what hurt me with Baldur's Gate. It wasn't just the adventure. It was like, you know, nobody could keep up with what rule set we were using and I had no idea, mm. you know, when you shoot through guys, are do they get, you know, cut minus 2? Are they at disadvantage? I, I don't remember. And do I want to learn because they might just change it? Oh, that was so long ago that you had to deal with that. <laughs> I don't even. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't even. That remember. was like and, what early, what first or second playtest packet they got rid of. I have of that? no idea. I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, but you, but you're just proving the point, Jeff. That it's like, well, yeah, I do I do I bother looking <laughs> yeah, that up right. again? Or well, it was what in do there. No, it's not again. And like yeah. you know, but but I think diagonal movements are uh, one and a half. You know, like oh. so there's. Right. So there's lots of weird. And the problem is we played Pathfinder recently and we played 13th Age recently. Mm-hmm. So uh, God knows. Right. They're all yeah. s- really similar, but not the same. And, and so I just I want to publish books sitting on the table like, yeah. I, 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 you know, dealing with a bunch of PDF files and, and moving it around. Just yeah. saying, I am. I am looking forward to going back to a um, to a finished product after yeah. we're done with the, the return of the Temple of Elemental Evil. Um all and the, the monsters suck. Although, although one of the, I am worried about going back to fourth edition and having it be super slow again. 
Yeah, I, I, I can't go back. I mean, I, I would if my group really wanted to go back. And so far, everyone said, look, if we're going to do fourth, let's just do 13th age. Yeah, I got to figure out what as many hacks as I can do to fourth edition, I think, just to make the combat really fast. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, you know, there's six years worth of good tips yeah. <laughs> on, how to, yeah. on how to do that. And, and you know, yeah. There are, but talk, I'm, 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 I'm not. Talk for a whole show about that. Yeah, and I don't know that I'm looking mm-hmm. for tips and advice. I think I'm looking for just complete hacks to the game. Like, I'm going to add in yeah. the, uh, what is it, is it 13th Age um, that does the, the die? Escalation. Yeah, the escalation, escalation die. die. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw that in, and I'm going to do some other things that try to, and keep, yeah. it, keep it relatively low level. I think that'll help. Yep. You know. Um, yep. That's a big one. You do the the inherent bonuses, so yep. don't have to deal with all the magic items. Right. Yeah. And see, my thing is like, as soon as I did all of the rules, and I had this thing when I went from three point five to four e, that as soon as I put like a bunch of house rules in place, I got four e to the place where I wanted to play it. Uh, now I had thirteenth age, so it's just <laughs> like I'll just stick with thirteenth age, and yeah. all of my kind of game heavy players that really like the system, you know, really like to have characters with lots of stuff can have it with 13th age now the only problem is like 13 true ways isn't out yet so there's a lot of a lot of people are like yeah i'm kind of tired of playing a fighter Mm. you know i want to play something cooler and 13 true ways will have cooler stuff but it's not out yet oh somebody's at the door come in it's (laughs) sam (laughs) (laughs) anyway yeah i'm done uh, well, Mike, you and I must be on the same wavelength because uh, right now I've got two groups going. I've got a, a group of basic D&D that are running through a sort of hack of Murder in Baldur's Gate. And then my other group is a D&D Next group, which is about to start Dragonspear Castle. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> um, so, so let me tell you about the basic group because that's the one that's kind of been been going through this longer. And and the ghosts, the Dragonspear Castle one is is pretty set. Um, but uh, so, <laughs> the thing is that I, I when I started with this group, I was brand new to the group, and I need I had to figure out like what what they liked to do, how their what their preferred style so was because I really you're, didn't know. You're that. brand new to the group, and you're DMing them. Yeah. That's an interesting so, situation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they, they've been playing for a long time and they lost a couple players through moves and different stuff. And so uh, we got in contact and, you know, it just one thing led to another and it was like, oh, well, you know, do you like to DM more than you play? And I basically said yes. And he said, oh, good, because I'm tired of DMing right now. Why don't you run us through? And I said, oh, OK. Well, that's just a, um, a, a different sort of – I mean usually you're, when you're introduced to a group, you mm-hmm. you join as a player and then offer yeah. to DM later on or whatever. You know, but, yeah. Hey, welcome uh, to the group. You're in charge. Yeah, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean I'm not, I'm not shy, so cool. you know. Um, but so – so but the thing the thing with that is I didn't really know what their – like how what their modus operandi was mm-hmm. for, for each – you know, because typically – Players have a certain style that they generally, you know, no matter sort of what genre you're doing or what kind of game you're doing, they they kind of have a certain style. And and groups as well. And groups as well. And I didn't know anything about this group as a whole or the players because I didn't know any of them before Mm. the initial like introduction. I mean I met them before they invited me to their house to play, right? We met at like a restaurant and had dinner and stuff like that. But – you know, prior to the first game, I didn't really know. So I, I sort of <laughs> set this up, and that's one of the reasons why I chose basic D&D is because it is so simple that I could do a variety of different things to figure out, you know, 
do they enjoy this type of play? Do they enjoy that type of play? And so I sort of, you know, I threw in, you know, sent them through a sort of a dungeon that had some weird gonzo things. And I sent them through sort of a more traditional dungeon and I sent them, you know, and I gave them different artifacts and let them figure out what they wanted to do. And, and, um, and it turns out they really like intrigue. So, uh, murder in Baldur's gate act, it was, it acted as sort of my, um, my framework, for this this city's descent into madness mm. because you know of all the the bad things you could say about it mike it does have one really good thing and that is if you want to see the picture of a town spiraling into oh, chaos yeah. right that I mean, is exactly I, yeah i think that was part of our yeah. review right the things that murder and Brothers get does mm-hmm. well it does really well it does really well yeah and and that's one of the things and at the same time, because I'm running them through these things in my own homebrew world, I can do whatever I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not necessarily required to do exactly what murder, you know, I wasn't running the, I, so just some background for those of you who don't know me all that well, because this is my first episode, I rarely run a published adventure. And when I do, even then I don't run it exactly as written. I completely change it. Uh, and I keep certain things and I change almost everything. Um, and so I took a lot of these elements of different things that happened and I used it as a framework for, okay, well, you know, we'll see how they respond to these different things. It turns out they really like intrigue. So it worked really, really well. Um, but it's getting to the point now where everything's kind of coming to a head and they have, uh, so the, in the, in the setting that I run, um, the regent of the town is has left. He went to go investigate something that was really important because he's part of this secret society. And the players have taken over in his absence and forged a bunch of documents and, and passed a bunch of laws to try to keep peace in the town, act, you know, but they did it in his name. So they're trying to figure out – there's all these different factions and they're trying to figure out, OK, what do we do now? We got to figure out who's behind all of this chaotic thing all these chaotic things that are happening and um you know and and they're sort of at the same time you know looking out the window saying oh is the regent coming back because he's gonna kick our asses when we come back you know (laughs) um and so so it's kind of everything's coming to a head and they're all about to die basically because uh they're really only like third level (laughs) and in basic D&D third level is like you know still depending on your class it's cat scratch can kill you territory Mm -hmm. um so I, I'm sort of I'm I I'm I'm actually kind of looking at the end of this of this particular game uh, because I think you know it's going to come to a head and and most of them are going to die um, and the other half of them will be thrown into jail for impersonating the king so <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's really extremely fun so Murder and Baldur's Gate's good for that in terms of the intrigue um, but I think I'm going to run for them after this a uh, Hollow Earth expedition game which. Uh, which, for those of you who don't know, it's sort of a pulp uh, fantasy 1930s Nazis riding dinosaurs um, mm-hmm. action adventure kind of fast and loose kind of game. Uh, so I have I have not I have not really um, formed in my head what I how I'm going to do it, uh, you know, any kind of story. But I think that's the system I'm going to run. So, and my other group that's playing D and D next, I sort of have the same. Uh, we we kind of stopped playtesting, and we uh, we they really liked the July playtest, and they really despised the August playtest, um, which was the one with no skills. You know that mm-hmm. was the 
that was the one that shocked <laughs> shocked the nation um, <laughs> because there were no skills. And so we actually had the playtest printed in a booklet that's bound with, you know, nylon binding, so that we actually have the books. Because it drives me nuts to be going through a PDF, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. at the table. And if everybody starts getting out their computers in the middle of the game, I, I go nuts. Um, so we had them bound. So it's really nice. But but we had the July playtest bound because uh, nothing after the August playtest really satisfied any of them. So so I say I'm playtesting, but we're really you know we we sort of stalled on the July playtest. Right. And <laughs> you're playtesting a I've packet been, that, that is that yeah. the feedback for is not useful. Right, right. And so and so I've kept up and I you know gave feedback for the most you know recent. And I ran sure. a couple of one shots with with different online groups of of the of you know like of the. The uh, what was it? The September. What was the last one? September, and then they released a little bit in yeah. October or something for the public portion, and then that was it. And uh, so you know, that's how it goes. But so that group, and I think I mentioned this actually when we reviewed Dragon Spear. They they got accused of a crime and they left town to go uh, try to prove their innocence, and they couldn't find the evidence that they needed. So they finally have been forced to go back to town. And they think they're going to get arrested, and now it's going to turn out that uh, someone else was was determined to have committed the crime while they were gone. People figured it out, and now that person, you know, as they're coming back into town, they're going to see that. Uh, spoilers for those of you who who haven't played Dragon Spear, but in the very beginning, they hang one of the Red Wizards, mm-hmm. and um, and that's going to happen. Of course, in this setting, they aren't red wizards, but basically they are the same thing. So they're going to hang that person, and then this group's going to figure out, oh, okay, well, we were set up, so now we have to figure out what to do. And then in order to figure that out, they're going to have to do the things that are in the Ghost of Dragonspear Castle. And in this particular case, this group is very different from my other group. My other group likes to be very sandboxy and have lots of options and go lots of different directions and do whatever they want, say whatever they want. This group that I have playing D and D next, they um, they're sort of they're a much younger group, not in age, but just in experience, and they kind of need to be on a few more rails than that. It's interesting. Which is also, your adventure yeah. choice is interesting, then, right? Because Murder and Brothers well, Gate is is designed more sandboxy in in many ways. Right. Well, well, that's the group that's sandboxy, right? And, the and then Mer- Dragon Spear is not right. So you, Dragon Spear is not yeah. so. Um, so it kind of works out that way. So, but I didn't know that. So this group, I was also because you know I moved like two years ago. Yeah. So when I've been with this group for almost a year, but we sort of just been getting our bearings and figuring out what we want to do. So I, I've just I sort of just recently, a couple months ago, came to the realization that you know they said they wanted sandbox and they really thought they wanted sandbox, but it turns out they're not so good at sandbox. <laughs> um, and they and as much as they like the idea of it, I just think they're not they just don't do it well. And so I, I don't want to go full on put you on the rails and you know we're doing a very linear step by step because there you there's a little bit of movement in, in Dragon Spear. Um, but they do need a little more foundation, a little more framework that's guidance. That, yeah, a little more guidance. So I'm sort of – I think it's going to be really fun because I think once I put that in place, you know, it'll be really extremely fun for them and they'll sort of mature a little bit more as as players and, and really grab onto that and it'll work really well. Uh, so that's what I'm – that's the situation right now. Cool. Well, you've got an extra five minutes to talk about whatever you want. Awesome. <laughs> well, so, so, so let me so – do you, either of you know anything about Hollow Earth Expedition? Mm-mm. Uh, I know of it in in by reputation. Okay, so what 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 do you know? 
Um, but, well, a lot of what you've already described, right? It's um, I've seen a lot of the artwork that that came out of it. I, there was a whole. Um, there was like a book of of like f- uh, fantasy role playing art at one point that during the second edition D and D days, mm-hmm. uh, and I remember flipping through that and I, I sort of inherited it from from another player um, back in my I don't know high school days and whatever. I remember flipping through that and seeing some of the craziness that was listed as Hollow Earth um, mm-hmm. artwork and you know crazy sort right. of weird sci fi fantasy well, so- mashed up sort of thing and and I and yeah. I know the Hollow Earth theory in general deals with mm-hmm. you know their idea that there's a what a. a a way like at the 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 pole yeah, the or whatever poles, and then there's these the yeah, there's is actually these hollow openings. and there's a whole other world yeah. inside of it yeah yeah so that so this game is 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 newer it's like five or six years old oh, or okay. so but but it's it's based on that premise where you know and and it's set in the in like the 1930s so you you sort of have uh the sort of golden age of pulp going on right and and also there's this idea that okay the hollow earth really does exist and there's actually you know if you were to go google hollow earth you're going to find all kinds of books written by real people who are absolutely sure that the real earth you know i'm not talking rpg stuff the real earth is hollow and there are ways to get in it and there's a whole pilot who says he went in there and all there's there's this whole like you know myth kind of thing around Mm -hmm. it that some people still believe um and this game is kind of based on that, that 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 actually if that was true, here's you know, here's how it would work. But let's set it 1930 because it's more fun to have Nazis riding dinosaurs. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's pretty interesting. Um, and it, the, the way that it's set up, it, it's a very quick, simple system. But um, it really the, the way that you sort of get the pulp feel is to. Uh, set up scenes, and it's okay to split the party in this particular game because it's really nice to set up scenes where you leave one, you know, if half the group is doing one thing, you leave them on a cliffhanger and you switch really quickly to the other group and you have them start resolving their situation. And it kind of leaves you, it's meant to, you know, leave you on the edge of your seat, you know, waiting for the next thing to happen so that you can see what happens and you're, you know, it's, it's very cliffhanger-esque. And uh, and it works kind of nice because it goes really with the theme. But my only problem is I have no idea what kind of storyline. So I need to do a little bit of research mm-hmm. to figure out what, what kind of storyline I'm going to run to to make them have the maximum fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially since I know they like the intrigue because this is going to be with the group that likes, you know, lots of intrigue mm-hmm. and different social battles and stuff like that. So that, that's going to be a little tough. Oh, but you, there's all kinds of what, like lost civilizations and things they can run into and, and deal, oh, yeah. deal with the intrigue and the, the diplomacy yeah. between one civilization and another. And, you yeah. know, you can do, do all exactly. kinds of – and now the, you, the larger threat of the Nazis, you know, mm-hmm. moving in and there's some, right. there's some things you can do there. Yeah. Well, my other option is uh, is to run to run either Numenera or The Strange depending on when that finally gets released, which um, I don't know uh, – how that will work because I'm not sure how how pleased I am with that system, but that, that's probably a different podcast. <laughs> have you have you tried it at all yet? I have not played it. No. Yeah, it's interesting. The Strange or Numenera? Which one are you talking about, Mike? Well, Numenera. I don't think strange anything is, is out for yeah. the Strange. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually looking more forward to the Strange. I only got Numenera as an offshoot because I backed the Strange when it was very first, you know, kickstarted. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I didn't back Numenera when it first came out because uh, uh, Monty Cook is not my favorite designer. I think he's got really great design chops, but he generally goes in a direction that I'm not – it's not my favorite. So mm-hmm. uh, so I didn't – I chose not to back it, but 
then I ended up backing the strange because I love Bruce Cordell. So, you know, who knows? Right. Whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've had good experiences with both of them. Um, mm-hmm. Monty Cook's real. I find that when Monty Cook's on, he's really on. And when he's off, mm-hmm. I, I, he, when I'm, when he's off, the design is good. It's just not, not usually he loses yeah. me in the story. Mm-hmm. You know, he did a bunch yeah. of um, alternative D and D stuff. Um, during third edition, mm-hmm. after he left uh, Watsi, um, you know his own little uh, unearthed arcana sort of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, basically saying, "Hey, let's do fantasy in a way that you've never done fantasy before, right?" And it was, you know, right. lion people and and that kind of stuff. Um, and I had a really, I had a, a game that we played with that, and I had a really hard time getting into it. And and no, none of it had to do with mechanics; it all had to do with uh, I, yeah. I'm just not really into the story, you know. Mm, yeah. We're playing D and D, but this doesn't feel or whatever like D and D. So, but other times, you know, he he wrote Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil, which I've yeah. played and run through multiple times, and and um, I've thoroughly enjoyed. And you know, a lot of things he's done is is right on, and a lot of things he does is you know Numenera as well, right? Uh, mechanically, yeah. I, uh, everything I've heard is that it's very strong, but I have a really hard time saying that sounds like a story that's interesting to me, you know, because. Mm-hmm. It's just not my style of, of setting or whatever. See, I, I'm I'm the opposite, and I I think you hit the nail on the head when you said you know his designs are solid. Mm-hmm. You know, there there's it's not that I don't think he's it's not that that I think he's a bad designer. I don't think that at all. I think he's a great designer. His designs are stable, um, they're workable, you know, and they and they give the feel that he's actually shooting for that. You know, what he designs towards a goal, and it, it you know most of the time it hits the goal. It's just not the goal that I would have gone for. Sure. But but if anybody's interested in Numenera, you know Rob Donahue on his um, on his blog, his personal blog, he wrote like a four or five part um, review of different portions of Numenera, and they basically dissected everything about it and yeah, and, it was really good. And talked about it. it was a great series of posts. Yeah. Um, I can't remember was it the Walking Mind or something is the yeah. name of his his blog. Right. Um, if you don't follow him, uh, his blog, he, and and you have any sort of aspirations or interest in in mechanics and design, you should because mm-hmm. uh, e- even if you're not, I mean, I, I'm I'm obviously not a pro designer, but uh, he has some wonderful insights into things. And the reason I like his his what he says is that he he'll tell you something and he'll tell you if he likes it or not, and then he'll tell you why. And it's not a oh this sucks because I don't like it and it's not my style. Mm-hmm. It's always well here's what it is. Here's what I don't like about it, and here's why. But you know, I can completely see why others might like it, and that's exactly how I, you know, that's sort of my attitude about to, towards people is, you know, play the thing that makes you happy and that gives you fun because that's what it's all about. It's not about tearing down other designers, and that's sort of the position that he writes from. So, mm-hmm. anyway, my time was up a long time ago. Yeah, so. that's, fine. <laughs> that's okay because we're just under an hour at this point, and so I feel good about that. Awesome. Um, if anybody wants to get a hold of us because you've got a question for us to tackle in these, you know, whenever we have these episodes with an extra, I see seven minutes on the board um, that we love to handle your guys' questions, feel free to email uh, me at thetomeshow at gmail.com and then I will forward it on to the others in the gang and we will uh, talk about it on an upcoming episode. Other than that, uh, anything else we need to say? Nope. Mike, how did uh, how did Sam do as the new Randall? Did he pass? Oh, awesome. Okay, good. Of course. You passed. You can come back. I don't have a I don't have the the sultry Randall Dead Orcs Midwestern <laughs> tones. 
<laughs> have, I have, have the, the, the northeastern nasal university professor tone. I guess <laughs> you uh, you can uh, you can work on that. <laughs> That's your feedback for the episode. All right, I'll work on. Try that. to get a I'll more Randall-esque uh, speaking quality. <laughs> Might have to get one of those voice changers, then I'll sound like there Steve. You go. There you go. <laughs> All right, say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody.